Hosting provided by Host Tornado. They offer website hosting packages, dedicated servers, and VPS solutions. HostT.net. Programming Throwdown, Episode 20, Query Languages. Take it away, Jason. Hey, everybody. So, I, uh, I have a decidedly lack of uh, knowledge in economics, right? I mean, when it comes to, like, real uh, economics, like the equations that go behind Macroeconomics? No, Microeconomics? Uh, I think this would be called uh, microeconomics. So okay. it's, like, the strategy behind why people do things. Like, a little bit of game theory, like, on okay. the border there, okay. right? And I, I By looking, the way, by the fact that you said that, I think you just uh, contradicted your first statement. Really? I think now you've already shown like you were able to determine oh. like what parts and talk about game theory. Oh, I don't know anything about this. All right, so, go ahead. Well, I, maybe, well, let's just see where the story is going. But uh, okay. basically, I, uh, you know, they were talking about uh, at work, they were talking about probability distribution functions and how like the distribution can change and all priors and all these things that like I had no experience statistics. with, right? Yeah, statistics. Okay. So, but statistics in terms of economics, which is, which is, you know, the study of rational people making decisions, right? Which is ultimately... In theory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is ultimately what, what you know, everyone's talking about. And I, I really felt like I was lacking. So, um, I looked up probability distribution function, probability mass function into book, book search, Google book search. And um, one of the first results was economics for dummies. And so I was like, well, and, and I, I read the, like, few pages that it gives you of, of uh, quota or whatever. Uh-huh, before uh, before it, you had to hit the paywall. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, it's a dummies book, but it actually is, you know, exactly what I want. It has covers everything. And uh, being an economics dummy, I seem like the perfect, you know, audience for this book. But then I was like, you know, I want to read the book, but I need it, like, immediately. And so I was going to you know, order it on Amazon, things like that. But I really needed it, like, right now. I needed it basically in an hour. And uh, I was at home, so I decided. Oh, you were really wanting to show show off to your friends at work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I must learn this overnight. I, I, I legitimately. I'm going to go to a bookstore and look for this. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So uh, I went on, you know, our good friends in Sweden who sailed a pirate ship, and uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. the story's I, getting worse. I did buy the book, everybody. So the book is on order, but in the meantime, and then I thought, you know, I, so so I looked for a dummies book or whatever, and the first was. Uh, 547 dummies books and it was like 7 gig and I was like I gotta get this right I mean like anytime you see like a giant corpus I, or I'm something face, face palming <laughs> so just for, for people totally, who can't see people who can't see Patrick is just completely buried in. I, I am shame. not condoning this behavior at all Jason no do not do this and and uh, you have a friend who did this We've, you did not start the story that's right correctly. that's right so my you uncle you knew this horrible immoral friend my mate Dave <laughs> So, Don't use names. <laughs> so, um, so, so among the books, these are real books that are printed. I think Addison Wesley publishes them for dummies. There is pimping for dummies, a real book. No, I, I'm not kidding. A real book, pimping for. But, but uh, there's also like France for dummies, like you know, etc. Um, there's tons of these dummies books. You know, electronics for dummies, quantum mechanics for dummies, pregnancy for dummies, like. That one's probably not necessary, you know. <laughs> Pregnancy for dummies should be an empty book, right? But uh, I found one that really resonated. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure this is not true. I mean, this is a fake what? book, Pimping for Dummies. This is not real. 
Oh, well, they did it in the style of the dummy. So somebody must have somebody, injected it. Somebody faked it or Somebody injected I can actually send you this PDF. Uh, no, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> no, somebody no, have... don't do that. I'm, I'm stating now for the record, let the record show. <laughs> the record clearly states Patrick does not want the pimp. Right, I'm going to look for book. it on Amazon. If it's not on Amazon, it's not real. Okay, someone must have injected this book. But um, yeah, basically... No, uh, I found... A it was Hacking for Dummies. Oh, nice. Which is apparently related to pimping for dummies. <laughs> a little bit of everything for dummies. Oh, the little bit of everything is pretty awesome. It's actually chapters taken from other dummies books. And seriously, like, click on that. The first chapter is like Seems DOS dangerous. commands, and the second one's dating <laughs> or something. <laughs> Check this out. Okay. Uh, Anyways, I'll, I'll keep going. Look inside. So... The one that uh, here, let's let's take a look. I, I just keep talking. Okay, so the one that really resonated for me amongst all five hundred of them was negotiating for dummies. <clears throat> for some reason, I really I guess it's because we had actually been talking about negotiating just coincidentally. Uh, me and some friends the day before, and so I uh, I started flipping through this book, and I honestly had very low expectations. I mean, first of all. I, I you know, didn't really expect to get a whole, like economics for dummies, like for you to be interested in economics, you have to be a little bit of a geek, right? So the dummies is sort of like a paradox. But in the case of, you know, negotiating for dummies, I really thought there'd be just really dumb, low level, like, like, like you know, Luddite, negotiating for Luddites, right? But, but uh, it actually was phenomenal. Um, it starts off, the very first section is, you know, for you to be able to negotiate, you have to have like a sense of direction in your life and you have to sort of like know where you're going. And that like kind of made sense. It's like if you're just getting sort of carried along by life and you don't really have like, you don't have like a, like a direction or something you want to go to, then it's hard for you to really negotiate anything. So it didn't start with anchoring or don't be the first one to say your goal. So yeah, it's it exactly right. It didn't start with any of that. It started with yeah. like evaluate your life. And that, that kind of threw me for a loop. Is this another fake book? <laughs> no, this is totally true. Then it got into pimp. No, okay. But it, uh, but then, no, it got into, and so it, it explained cases where, you, so for example, um, the, you know, don't make the first move, right? Mm -hmm. It said, oh, you know, a lot of people know this, but they accidentally make the first move anyways. And they gave an example. Like, let's say you interviewed for a job or you're applying for a job. They'll say, you know, put your current pay at your current yes. job. Well, like, you just know, leave you, it blank. Yeah, you don't have to put that. Just right. put nothing. But then they'll like ask you. But private. you just say, oh no, thank you. Yeah, you just say, look, that information is private. You know, because by saying what you made your current job, you're effectively making the first move. Like, they can guess at like a percentage increase of your current salary. But but not know? to be off track. That's already somewhat the not making a first move is hard because like if you go to a car dealership. You've made the first move. You showed up at the car dealership. You've already tipped your hand that you're interested in buying that car. Mm -hmm. Not as much as you want to feign disinterest. Ah, I might buy this car. Or I might not. You you spent your time on time you're not working to go to this place and talk to this person. Yeah. You've tipped your hand. Or interviewing for a job. If you've bothered to fill out an application form where they had these things, you're already showing that you're somewhat interested. So you've already tipped your hand at some point. But what I mm -hmm. guess the point is, don't tip it more than then you have to like right. be careful about your information and you might you know you might be willing to work at a place but only for salary x right and then they have no way of knowing that that's there's that part of it too right so if you give your current pay let's say you give your current pay they figure like 99.99% of people would take double their pay 
So like that's already information that they know that they wouldn't have known if you didn't if you didn't put that pay right. So so um, <clears throat> this is really interesting. They um, they also covered um, two things which I thought were really important. One is um, set limits before you you start anything. So 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 before you start negotiating, set a lower and an upper bound uh, if 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 appropriate. So. You know, clearly you don't want to set an upper bound on your pay. It doesn't make any sense, right? But, but you know, set a lower bound, right? Or, or an upper bound on the price of a car, et cetera. Sometimes you need to send a lower and upper bound. Or it could be multi-dimensional negotiation. You should set bounds on all dimensions. Um, and then stick to those the whole way through and remind yourself why you set those. You know, don't let yourself get caught up in the context of the negotiation that, like, you slip on your bounds, right? The other thing is, based on the gravity of the decision, at every step, take a certain amount of time, like regardless of any external pressure. So, for example, if you're buying a car. Yeah, they don't like that, by the way. No, no. So these are things that the people you're negotiating with will hate you for, but these, are, these, these really matter. So if you're buying a car, a car might be, let's say, like several, like maybe a year of your salary, right? Or like six months of your salary, some X amount, right? So at least take three days like or two days every time there's you know some shift in the negotiation take three days and think about it yeah, so that seems long i mean that yeah, yeah. Good. so like when i when i bought my last car the what happened was we negotiated we got to like a good price or whatever i said i'm gonna go have dinner yeah i did yeah. not like that answer yep. like no what i'm gonna put you in it now like the car's gonna sell like all this stuff right and i'm like maybe it will yeah i'm like i'm gonna go buy dinner and i'm gonna eat dinner and i'm gonna come back yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, well, I, fine. Like, whatever you say, like, I'm not. And then he try to lower the price, right? Like, oh, it's great. Like, I'm writing this down. Yeah, like, you okay, got this is a lower free. price. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, but then I did. I like went to dinner and ate yeah. about it, talk about it, think about it, clear your head, be away from the high pressure, and then go back. Um, you know, and then yeah. just. And know. just a real world example. So, obviously, this is before I read the books, this is years ago. But when I went to buy my wife's engagement ring, um, you know, I looked at a bunch of. Which is of three years' salary. <laughs> is that no it's like three months or something right anyways oh yeah yeah you're right yeah if if, if uh, my wife is listening several years of salary so so um well, infinite if you're making no money because you're in school <laughs> very easy oh that's true good point so um you know i looked at a bunch of rings and uh I said, you know, I did did the right thing, which is to think, you know, spend a couple of days and think about it. And over the course of a couple of days, I realized that I wasn't do, making a good purchase. Like I had like buyer's remorse, but without buying, right? And so then I went back in sort of with a clear head all over again. And I ended up saving, I think it was like two or $3,000. It's just like significant, you know? Um, so I yeah, think- Yeah, it's pretty, when you're buying a million dollar ring. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. So. <laughs> Patrick, you don't see me sliding money over to Patrick right now. I'm putting 20s in his pocket consistently. So, um, But yeah, the book was Negotiating for Dummies. I wouldn't say it's the best negotiating book because it's the only one I've, I've read. So, so uh, but, but in general, um, Think knowing about how to negotiate, yeah. very That's important. Good. That's good yeah. advice. So did you learn about economics? <laughs> No, of course I, I was reading about negotiation. <laughs> no, I did. There so are a lot I, of good economics books. It used to be I have like a, I like learning new things, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm constantly changing what I'm interested in. So I was interested in economics for a while. So I did do some amount of like like online coursework type stuff. You know, I took microeconomics in, in college yep, and yep. read some books. There's like Freakonomics was popular. Oh, but yeah, that's kind of yeah, like that. short stories, really easy to read. It won't teach you about all of economics, but yeah. some of the 
kind of that rational thinking, how that doesn't always lead you where you think. Um, yeah, there's totally. other other books as well. So there's a lot of good books out there about that. Yeah. So I mean, to answer the question, I I you know had to study like Bayesian probabilities and things like that. You keep saying statistical things though. Yeah, but uh, I think that there's a there's a high correlation, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. I guess when when you say economics, I think more of like even microeconomics, right? The supply and demand, and you know, yeah, yeah, a, a pricing and elasticity or inelasticity. So yeah, right. The truth that, is I mean, like, those are like yeah. I don't mean like the the statistics are important as well, and mm-hmm. I'm sure economists have to be very strong mathematicians for the most part, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I just tend to think more of those, or like you said, behavioral aspects. Versus, you know, it sounds like you approach it from much more of a quantitative. Yeah, exactly. Bent. Yeah, so I needed it for like for like some very specific things, like with respect to like you know equations I was using at work and things like that. And so uh. I think that like um, you know statistics for dummies probably would have been even better, but I don't think that exists. No, no, no. But not yeah, not down to your your choice. It just <laughs> economics is interesting. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, I am interested in the other. Actually, one thing which I happen to skim across. Um, was a Dutch book. Have you heard of this? Or is this like... Like the language? Like, uh, no, so, so a Dutch book is when okay. you can set up a, a, a set of bets in such a way where you make money regardless of the outcome. So, for example, let's say like you're willing to pay me $3 to 1, 3 to 1 odds, if Obama wins the election. And I find someone else who's willing to pay 3 to 1 if... if uh, <laughs> Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney, thank you. Uh, I didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> okay, you forgot the name. Mitt Romney wins the election. It shows how much I'm interested in politics, right? But uh, so so if I have two people who are each willing to This is a bookie. This is, odds, I mean, the whole goal of like a Las Vegas casino in a way. Well, not, 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 no, not so much a Las Vegas casino, but a sports book. So, or like a bookie. This well, is the yeah. whole idea, right? So like he they, tries. Well, sometimes he'll front the money, but a lot of times, I don't know. I don't know that much about it. Never having mm-hmm. gone to one. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, the idea is they try to pair up people, right? Like they try to... Essentially, oh, we're betting against each other, but they get a cut. Gotcha. For kind of like matching us or whatever. But but yeah, if you do have this Dutch book, so you have these two people, as I mentioned, you can you you're, it's in your interest to bet infinity money to both people, right? Because yes. like let's say you bet a thousand dollars, you're gonna lose, right? Because there's two choices, and you're betting a thousand dollars on both choices. So you're betting two thousand total. One of those thousand you'll lose, and you'll get nothing. The other thousand you'll win, and you'll get three thousand. So you'll go from having two thousand to three thousand in your pocket. I guess as long as if you don't have the whole problem of not being able to pay the one guy before you get your other. No, rewards. assume that you have the two thousand up front, and you know you're just. It'll be infinite money, and then you owe infinite money. <laughs> yeah, so you get yeah. infinite knees broken because you can't pay your <laughs> infinite money. <laughs> and then it doesn't matter that you have infinite new money because you're laying dead on a street. Maybe you're one of those like carrion beetles which have like a million legs or whatever. And by the time they break them all, you already have but, but double infinite n- money. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this sounds like arbitrage. Yeah, I mean, that's so, the whole idea of arbitrage, yeah. right? A Dutch book same. is a, is a situation is a betting or a situation where you could do betting arbitrage and come out ahead okay. um, with a hundred percent chance of success. This is the whole like race to do high frequency trading and underground yeah. new new ways of running the cables and fiber optics and microwave yeah. towers to communicate between exchanges. Is yeah. this exactly is essentially exactly what you said? I know the price in one place, and I know that price is different in another place. And I know in two seconds, those prices are going to line back up. But right. in the meantime, in those two seconds, I can buy a whole bunch from one and sell to the other. And essentially, yeah. as much stuff as I can transfer between the two, 
uh, before they catch up, I make money. Yeah, exactly. But I, in that process, I actually make them catch up. And so I make them catch up faster than they would have before. Right, exactly. Because somebody else would have been arbitraging them before, and they're slower, and I'm faster. Yep. So I get that money instead of them. Totally, totally. And then we can... Did you hear about this guy? Well, that was he, a weird side track. Okay, sorry. He worked for Goldman Sachs. He was doing exactly this. So they work on this... Actually, they do this high-frequency trading, but it's a lot of, like, heuristics. They use decision trees and machine learning and stuff to figure out, like, what to buy and sell and everything. He took his algorithms, and he tried to, like, spin off his own company... Uh, you know, using these algorithms he developed. I think we talked about this, dude. Oh, yeah, we did. On the show. He went to jail and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, so that guy, so we... Uh, so we should probably insert what episode number that was, but yeah. I don't remember what it was, so Yeah, so keep if, going. if you're watching all the episodes back to back to back, then you've just heard this conversation. But anyways, uh, for us, it's been years. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for years. But yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the economics thing was, was interesting. The negotiation was very interesting. Um, and in general, dummies books are better than I thought. I mean, I... You know, they have such a negative connotation, right? Dummies. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, I guess there's some people who like the idea of being a dummy. Yeah, so that was episode two. Oh wow. Python. It has been a really long time. That's Former Goldman Sachs employee jailed eight years for stealing code. Yeah, that was. That's been. Is that two years ago or one year ago? Uh, I don't know. Here. here anyway, uh, this was March 18th, and I didn't write the year. <laughs> it was before years. Eleven. Wow. No. It was like five billion years. <laughs> um. So that was a year and six months ago. Gotcha, gotcha, cool. But yeah, so um, dummies books, pretty cool, yeah. especially negotiating for dummies. Economics, pretty cool. Economics, Arbitrage, pretty cool. Yeah, going to jail, not cool. No, don't go to jail. <laughs> um, don't go to jail. Not hot either. Uh, okay, um, on to our news <laughs> of the week. The first article is one I put. So this is a, a research paper. That I thought it was pretty cool, mostly just because I had a cool video, I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent of a cat video, but for programmers, I guess. Nice. And this was somebody, the title was The Floating Point Game of Life, the first uh, headline I saw. Um, but I guess the actual article was something like Continuous Conway's Game of Life or yeah. something much more impressive sounding research paper. Just to give you a little bit of hype, a little moment hype stuff, both of us looked at this article independently and we immediately wanted to talk about it. I mean, it's amazing, right? That was first. Yeah, so I arbitraged totally, it. Yeah, Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> I win! There was like a Dutch book where we were both trying to find articles. We were trying to find other people to bet against <laughs> that we would have this in this show. So so what this was is so in Conway's Game of Life, now if, if you don't recall it by name, is uh, a square grid mm -hmm. of um, with squares. And uh, uh, yeah, each like square cells. can either be occupied or unoccupied. Right. So or alive or dead, essentially. And by a simple set of rules about how many neighbors a cell that neighbor a cell up, down, left, right, up, left, down, left. So yeah, nine connectivity or whatever. Eight it's called. diagonal neighbors or whatever. So depending on how many of those cells are occupied, means that the cell will either uh, become dead from overcrowding, mm -hmm. will stay alive if it's in the middle numbers, or if the cell is already dead and there's enough, it will become alive. Right. Um, and so just this simple set of rules, and I forget the exact numbers for each, but you know, having this simple set of rules, you can you know, kind of start with a few, three or four you know, little squares that are alive, and they can just go on for you know, like very, very long amounts of time of having this behavior, things growing and exploding and colliding into each other. I, I mean, we've all, I think, seen these before mm -hmm. um, at one point or another. And they so the gliders, right? The, there's like just gliders, like there's shape, blinkers. 
takes advantage of the fact that like when you set a cell on, it's not really on in the current state. Cause like you have a, you basically have like a current state and a future state. And the future and state is independent of, each cell is independent of one another. Right. Except in their reliance on the previous state. Right, and then so you calculate the future state for all the cells and then you flip, the future state becomes the current state. Right. And because of that whole process, because of it's that two-stage process, you end up yeah, with these gliders that are just sort of like well there's all sorts of people made like adding machines yep. people have made like self-replicating ones I like think all, someone proved like it was Turing complete or something? I don't know, I don't know. It, or you probably designed a Turing complete machine in it is, right. is my guess right. so there's you know it's really a lot of research goes on in there and it's a cellular automata like yep. that's that's the name so th this else so somebody came up with a research paper where instead of treating it as a discrete square based grid for these things I think time is still discrete just like we described mm -hmm. but space is continuous so each cell, each thing that's alive or dead is an infinitesimally small point, and then it has a neighborhood, which is some radius of circle around it. Right. Um, and then essentially created a computer to approximate that by using anti-aliasing and you know floating point numbers and you know various things to try to come up with that. And so there's a video that we posted the article, mm -hmm. which is uh, seemed very technical and complete and only semi-interesting <laughs> because I'm not that much into research. Um, but the YouTube video is really cool. Yeah, you guys gotta see, and even the song on the YouTube video oh, is awesome. Yeah, Chase was rocking out to the song. I was totally. I listened to it without out. the music on, so I didn't even know it had music. I was doing the Numa Numa dance. It was pretty epic. Hands were waving. Yeah, I don't even know what that was. What That's that Maya. Maya. It's that guy. He's like. Okay, no, still don't know what it is. And for those of you not not watching, Jason, attempt to dance. It was pretty embarrassing. It was pretty bad, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of empty chairs in this room. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, pretty interesting to check it out. But there yeah. are a people found the equivalent of gliders, but yep. instead of only like I think four directions of the traditional gliders, this glider can go in like any direction. Yeah, totally. There's, like pairs of gliders that orbit around each other, and like these weird like snake support pillar yeah, that things. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. You should check it out. Yeah, it's totally, totally awesome. I think it's a phenomenal idea. It's one of these like I can't believe I didn't think of it kind of things. It's like. Such a such a like awesome idea, and to think that we went the game of life has been around for what fifty years a or long something time. like that. Yeah, uh, we re it recently had the fifty year anniversary. Oh no, it was nineteen seventy. So oh, actually, it is close to fifty years. You're not quite fifty. You're a little early. Yeah, a little early. Um, but yeah, totally awesome. So, <clears throat> oh, here's here's a in Minecraft somebody built Conway's game of life. Do people do everything in Minecraft? <laughs> No, I have to watch did this you, video. Did you see that the game of life was actually in the search? Did you see that or no, was no, that no. just me? Do the search again. Okay, hang on. Hang on. I'm watching the video. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Here, I, we see you. You made an amazing thing. Oh, it is. Wow, somebody made Conway's game of life in Minecraft. Uh, but no, okay. when you had the exactly search results. Exactly what you expected to look like. When you had the search results, it actually looked like there was game of life going. Oh, in like the background or something? In the background, but I might have just been oh. looking that up. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, um, my article is not as cool, unfortunately. I kind of, you know, I wish I could do, you know, crazy continuous integration Riemann sum game of life thing with floating point, but I think it's still pretty cool. It's uh, so Twitter they bought a company called uh, Clutch IO, and Clutch IO does A/B testing for mobile, and I'll get into A/B testing in a minute. Um, but Twitter was uh, fortuitous, or we are fortuitous, or something. I don't know. It is going. fortuitous that Twitter uh, open sourced um, the uh, 
the uh, Clutch IO library for everyone to use. So what is A-B testing? Patrick. What is A-B testing? Thank you. <laughs> Jason, tell, tell me what, I've heard this term before and I just can't figure out what it means. Could you help me? A-B testing for dummies, let me look. <laughs> so A-B testing comes from alpha beta testing and alpha beta is a type of distribution. First two letters of the Greek alphabet? That's true too, but alpha beta is a type oh. of ab, ab improving muscle <laughs> training for dummies. Alpha beta is a type of disprobability distribution, and it, it might be that if you read economics for dummies, it would go into what alpha beta filters are. But anyways, so um, alpha beta testing, super important if really, I mean, you're in any type of industry. And the idea is you have a, you know, your alpha, which is sort of your control group, then you have beta, which is uh, you know some new feature. So, for example, you might have, let's say your website is a uh, cars that you're trying to sell or something like that. So you might have an alpha group which has your website as it exists now. Then you might have a beta group where you randomly throw in high-priced cars. So it's like, oh, I search for Volvo, I search for whatever, but I'm gonna randomly throw in something which kind of matches the search result, but also like more expensive. And the idea is like maybe you make a commission off expensive cars, right? So even like, you know, so your alpha version, like I said, gives the, gives the users exactly what they want. The beta vision version gives them what they want, but also throws in some of these expensive cars. Then you can look at the results of both of these independently. And you can see, oh, you know, when I, when, when people got to the beta version of the website, they, um, they did spend more money and they bought more expensive cars, but they never came back or something like that. And so it's like, well, long term, this is going to hurt my business. So I need to stick with my alpha version. Um, even though it says alpha beta, in reality, you can split many different ways. So you could have, you know, eight changes and now you have two to the eight different versions of your website. Was it 256 different versions of your website? Um, and you can you know sort of isolate which version is the best like which features helped which features hurt so this sounds easy it's actually really hard i mean one of the things that makes it hard is being consistent so you have to find some way to know okay patrick visits my site he's getting the b version of the site a week later when he comes back he needs to get the same b version like if every time you refresh the page, you get either one version or the other, that's gonna be really confusing and it's gonna pollute you know, your experiment. So uh, A-B testing frameworks for the web, or in this case for mobile, sort of deal with that and they hash users in such a way where they, you know, they keep it consistent. They give good reporting and all that good stuff. So um, if you do any development, you wanna be using an A-B testing. And uh, if you're doing mobile, you should check out this one open source by Twitter. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people doing, especially e-commerce, like if you sell yeah. something, right? A-B testing is really important. You yeah, wanna, definitely. Is it the red, but, red buy button or the green buy button better? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, you could guess, but in reality, it's better to try to test. Yeah, totally. Actually, I heard from a friend of mine who works at a startup who was telling me of another startup that makes uh, Facebook games. And they had this one Facebook game that was like a fish. It was like an aquarium and like you pay real money to like get food for your aquarium or whatever. And they weren't doing alpha beta testing. They added this feature where basically you could buy something that you couldn't buy before. So, so there's something before that you could only get through 
experience in the game, right? It was like maybe like your fish could grow up or something. And all of a sudden they added this thing where you could pay like a dollar and have adult fish immediately. I don't know, I'm making this up, but you get the idea. Like they added some monetization strategy that wasn't there and everybody left. Like it compromised everything. And I think for some reason it's like people felt like having an adult fish was like a rite of passage almost. And by making it to where you could pay a, like essentially trivial amount of money for something that took hundreds of hours of real like effort to do before, it like ruined the entire game. And actually the company literally went out of business. Mm. People say that about the new Diablo because you can play the game and get a really good artifact, a sword or whatever, I don't remember mm -hmm. the name, and then sell it on the internal auction house and make money. That like it becomes like almost like a job. Like you want to play because you want to you know, oh, get this thing so you can make more money by selling it. And some people have said that's ruined. Other people said it's great and make money. And then, yeah, but it is true. I think it's hard to do A-B testing though with something like that because when you're rolling it out to a, like things that are naturally shared or social or community driven, if you A-B test, I, I don't know that that works. Yeah, that's So you actually, could A-B test like the sign up page or something, but like the actual thing, like if I give you free fish and I don't get free fish, like, or, you know, Sally doesn't get free fish, like, so this That's is like confusing. A, this so is like a phenomenally to... interesting topic, actually. So I know that the way I have, so I know the way that they do this right now is actually through countries. So I have another friend who works okay. at a uh, uh, social startup. I have like a lot of social startup friends. Um, this one, they actually test everything in Canada. So so they do for them to do out the way they do A/B testing is they do the B and the B stuff in Canada. And of course there's skew there because Canadians probably have different. Yeah. Well, know, this is how like restaurants do. Like if you ever, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant when they're testing a new product or something mm -hmm. and they'll just like serve you a special product just there. Only that store has that feature. And then, you know, they see how people like it or not. Right. But that's a little different than AB testing. Is um, AB is supposed to be kind of like completely independent. Like I'm yeah. picking random people across my whole entire population. That's true. And and I'm giving them some feature and seeing if they react differently. Yeah, I mean, ideally, because you get all these other bugs. That. Like if you do it in Canada, like oh, I'm randomly selecting everybody in Canada. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you're introducing all sorts of biases. Yeah, totally. I mean, something that would be amazing would be if you like took your users. Uh, you know, let's say you're making some social app, or whatever. Looked at the social structure like look at the the structure of the relationships between those users and broke them up into like connected components to do a b testing um that would be pretty awesome i mean so you can't be perfect because it'll be like ultimately there'll always be these two people who are friends and are on different versions right unless you literally have two disjoint communities but like chances are you won't right because people refer their friends and things like that but maybe yeah. you could find these like pockets where you know, there's very few connections out, and you could A/B test like th that could be the B pocket. You know. Yeah, I think A/B. Yeah, and A/B testing, I think, is, is typically or maybe even fundamentally supposed to be small changes, like right. minor things, not like large like features or something like the color of a button or the placement of something on the page or mm -hmm. you know, so, small stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So we we've talked multiple switching topics, talked multiple <laughs> times about just stating the obvious. That's my new. Uh, my new thing. Oh, okay. State obvious things. All right, cool. So it's you currently got that in the for evening. Dummies? The state obvious things for dummies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Talking for yeah. dummies. So so uh, Coursera 
is one of the online education platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually happened to be involved in this. Well, that sounds bad. I, uh, I knew that this had <laughs> happened before the news broke. So basically, um, the inventor of the Scala language, which Scala we haven't talked about before, but is a functional programming language built on top of the Java right. virtual machine. Um, he is offering a functional programming class for free on Coursera. So I'd signed up for this class, you know, in the high hoping dreams that I would have time to watch the videos <laughs> and do the exercises. <laughs> yeah. And pretty much like every other class I've taken online Aww. for free, I just have no motivation to actually do it. I get busy. <laughs> um, so, but I got this email one day saying that basically they had detected cheating in this online course. Wow. And that, uh, so this is a couple of interesting things. One, it's a fully optional and free online course with no college credit, just like some email saying you complete this course is the only output. Why do you need to cheat? Just do like me. Just don't do anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't really like I don't. Be resume padding or something, uh, right? But like, I don't like it doesn't have a lot of value for a resume at this point. Like maybe one day it will, I guess. But then yeah. just don't take it now. Like I don't, it, you know, and there's no association. Like it's just your email, right? So you could just change, a, use a different email next time or whatever. Gotcha. Like I don't think it's a super big deal. But people were still cheating. They had basically posted solutions to some of the programming problems online. And uh, this is kind of confusing slash also disheartening. And so they said that, oh, we've tried to identify the people who did this. You know, we're going to, you know, basically block them. We're going to kind of like give zeros to the people. Or I forget exactly the action they were going to take. But people like submitted assignments that were exact copies of the online known ones. And then like, oh, they're going to have the TAs basically looking online for, you know, solutions to pop up. Um, because arguably most people just find this by Google searching, like, oh, right. functional right. programming class. Oh, here's a form. Oh, look, here's the answers. How nice. Um, but it does bring up an interesting thing that, like, again, this is a free class, like, no obligation, but people still, like, feel compelled to cheat and, like, try to get around doing real work, which is kind of sad. <laughs> Did the article go into why people cheat? Well, I, I, no, I mean, nobody knows, right? Like, I mean, you can't, you can make guesses or psychologists or whatever. But I mean, the other thing is like, if my, my question is just like, I guess maybe different, maybe because the stakes are higher, I don't know. But like, if you go to university, so nobody ever talks about like cheating at university. Sometimes they do talk so about cheating actually, at university level. There was somebody in my lab. So many PhD students, they are also TAs, right, for classes. Um, that's sort of what pays the bills while you're in grad school. Um, he actually wrote a program to do like, like semantic analysis of your code, like to, to generate the tree, the call tree and all that. And he somehow was able to write a program to detect copies. And then he just ran it on all N squared pairs of, you know, students' assignments and found out groups of them, like, you know, these nine people all have exactly the same answer. And so I think it's possible. But no, yeah. So, so uh, okay, so I'm not saying it's not possible to detect the cheating. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of high stakes. Like, if people are cheating in online free classes with, like, basically low stakes, and now the sector higher, you, you've paid money to take this class, it is going on your resume, mm-hmm. are you going to graduate in time? Um, like the, the bar to like fail is so much higher. So yeah. arguably maybe people don't want to cheat because if you get caught cheating, like it's Penalties much more, much more damaging. Yeah. But it, it's an interesting question. And there have been cases like recently of kids cheating in high school, like taking SAT tests for each other. Oh, really? just, get, oh Yeah. Oh, and people man. doing electronic cheating. I, oh, I could have put this article in here. I was reading this article the other day about somebody cheating in chess and, and just like, oh. <laughs> oh we talk, did we talk about that last time? I don't remember. Uh, I, I don't read the think article. so. Yeah, yeah. So like there was a kid basically using like a PDA. Um, so they have some specific model of PDA, which I'm not very familiar with chess competitively. Whatever competitive chess associate has like a specific model of PDA that runs a specific app mm-hmm. that's allowed. 
Oh. And it's to keep notes. So it's very traditional when you play chess that you keep notes about all the moves of the game so you can oh, analyze yeah. it later or like analyze you know famous chess masters games and like these kinds of things. Um, and so they said, well, we'll just let these people use this uh, app on this specific you know PDA, not like an iPhone or something general. Um, and that app's developer has promised like, oh, it locks everything out. It's the only app that can be running. We don't allow multitasking. We turn off all the Wi-Fi, everything, right? Like it's all turned off. But there's now the ability for even these small devices to run, you know, very high quality chess engines, right? So what they don't know exactly what happened, but all of a sudden this kid who was really bad started doing really good. <laughs> and like somebody That's came amazing. over and noticed him doing something fishy with his with his device. But they didn't confiscate it, they didn't look at it, they didn't like just kinda let it go. So they don't have any like clue about kind of what to do, but it kind of brought into this like, oh, people cheating at chess, you know? But like yeah, brings yeah. in this general like electronic cheating. Like other people have been found with like little tiny like micro uh, speakers in their ears, like really hidden ones down in their ears, getting told chess moves with somebody else basically doing it on a laptop, right? And like oh, playing the opponent's moves and then letting the you know computer and like all these things, like all these you know high tech cheating now is going to be a real problem. Like how to detect it, to deal with it, to stop it. That's really interesting. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. So I mean, like you said. You, one thing is like you can compare, so they do this for research paper, or not research, but like. A, uh, oh yeah, turn it in, right? Yeah, there's like various services where yeah. basically you upload, or all your students upload their research papers. Right. But right. not like uh, PhD yeah, so research turn it papers. In, for people who don't know, turnitin.com is a website, like many TAs and teachers use it. Um, basically, it's this huge repository of you know research papers. I think it's it just scans like tons of things, it, it, like mines Google Scholar and like all these things. and. Uh, Basically, it looks for so. So then, when you submit an assignment, it looks for plagiarism. So, so it looks for plagiarism between you and other research papers, right? And also you from like, like it has repositories of books and articles and web pages yeah. and like all this stuff. And so it'll show like, oh, this whole section is matched, and you know whether or not like it's annotated or footnoted or quoted yeah. or whatever. So basically, give you a score of how likely it is this person cheated or how much they cheated, right? Um, but then for like code. It's actually fairly straightforward. So for words, it's pretty hard. Like you'd have to restate it. But if you're going to take time to restate a whole paper and like change all the words around so it still makes good English sense, but you know is different enough, like you might as well just write the research paper from scratch. Like that's kind of a lot of work because you have to understand the material, which is arguably the point, anyways. But for a programming assignment, you can just, for instance, like rename all the variables. Yeah. And then it would be very hard to detect that in this. So you say like you know you knew this person who wrote like analyze the tree. So we're going to have to go to stuff like that, but then people are going to know that's the case. So then they'll have a they'll add an extra they'll add a program that yeah, add an extra function, or add a program that permutes, you know, it's like alters the function calling or, you know, yeah. adds extra extraneous ones that don't matter, right? And then it'll just be this cat and mouse game. Yeah, totally. It's always ends up like an arm race. Like all this stuff like spam, finding spam, you know, botnets, like stopping down bot. It always ends up like some arm arms race where like you figure out a way to filter it and then they figure out a way to get around the filter and then it keeps going. Yeah, this will be another one of those. Yeah. Actually, I saw an interesting TED talk on cheating. This was a while ago, like three or four years ago. But one of the cool things was everybody has sort of like uh, an internal, like, I don't know what to call it, but like basically like, like, so the example he gave was in one case, if you cheated, there was a way for you to cheat, but there wasn't a large gain. In the other case, there's a way for you to cheat and the game was larger. And it turns out like a lot more people cheated. Oh, oh, and the thing I didn't explain. In both cases, it was trivial to cheat and you knew you weren't gonna get caught. So, you know, a robot 
you know, just a naive, like, you know, math model of this would just say, there's no chance of getting caught, there's no implications, I should cheat, regardless of, you know, of, of the game. But the reality is people have this, like, internal inertia against cheating, or like an internal karma system, but if the reward is big enough, they'll cheat. And I thought that was really interesting. It would have been more interesting, if, well, I, I, this is the experiment, if they had actually cheated when the stakes were less. Like, somehow being worried that when the stakes are higher, that the penalty would be somehow implicitly higher. Oh, yeah, but the, the way the, the experiment was structured, it was obvious that there was no penalty. Yeah, like, uh. completely obvious. But yeah, that's interesting, too. Like, Because what you described seems rational. Like, okay. So, like, if there's no chance of getting caught, right, and people will cheat, but if the stakes aren't that big, like, what does it matter? Like, I'm yeah, just not going to cheat. that's true. I mean, it's interesting, but... Yeah, yeah. Not to bash on your video. No, no, I just, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's sort of like cheating has like a weight to it. It's sort of like if, I, if there's not a lot of gain, then I don't want like the bad karma of cheating. Is basically, that's what I took away from it. Okay. If, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, the, same, the same guy had this interesting thing where uh, if you're given three choices and um, all three are of roughly like the same quality, or maybe you don't even know their quality. Uh, but uh, or no, sorry, I got it wrong. You have two choices. Um, they're both of the same quality. Now you introduce a third choice that is um, Pareto dominated, which means it's worse in every way to one of the two choices. People will pick the choice that's better than that third choice. So for example, if I have like like if if there's like girls trying because you know we do programming throwdown. There's constantly girls asking us for our numbers. If, again. If a girl <laughs> so if me and Patrick are at a bar. Dude, I just made all these nice things to your wife. <laughs> now, like, I, now you're totally going to lose it all. If me, if me and Patrick are at a bar, um, and let's say like just if the two of us were at a bar, we'd have an equal chance of getting picked up. If you introduce a slightly like ugly. I'm not condoning this conversation. Like, I don't even know if I want to let you go forward. No, no, no. Just like fish. If you introduce like a slightly uglier, like slightly like, I don't know, more disheveled version of Patrick, the chances of girls picking Patrick over me goes up dramatically. And even though Patrick hasn't changed. Yes, I, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard it. And before. so, and, and, and he actually, this is... It's because it gives, you, it gives you an anchor. You say, oh, at least I know this choice is better than that choice. Yeah, and it has something to do with like the brain cannot, like, evaluate things in, like high dimensional spaces. But like, it can see that like, this thing is better it's ranking. than that. At least you can rank those. Like, it's very difficult to rank an apple versus an orange. Right. But if I put in another apple that's, you know, like decayed, it's like, oh, well, at least I could take the good looking apple. Yeah, exactly. So it looks better than the decayed apple. Yeah. But I have no idea how to compare the apple and the orange. Right. The you same thing with houses. You just There's a really big problem with houses. Oh. This is the whole comparable thing when you buy a house. Oh, sorry, we're getting off track. No, again. no. It makes sense. But yeah, so like when you go to buy a house, it's very difficult to compare houses in different neighborhoods. So people tend to really quickly focus in on one neighborhood and try to rank houses. Because then they can somehow rationalize the price. Yeah, Even though that yeah. price has no... It's just whatever you'll pay for it, right? Like right, whatever right. the seller is willing to sell it to you. But you, it's very difficult for people to keep the search very large and open because it's very difficult to compare something that's a far commute but very cheap and a very close commute but very expensive. Like, yeah, exactly. That, like, like that comparison is very difficult. If you have to factor in like, oh, if I live here, the schools are bad, I'll have to pay for private school. And like factor in like the... the like. 20 or 30 different variables at each house and like you can't your brain just cannot do that and so uh so yeah what will end up happening is you'll look at two houses one will be better than the other in some like obvious way like completely 
dominate the other one. And then your brain will make the mental leap as to say that house is better than average <laughs> because it's better than this one. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, All right. this is wild. We got to move on. We are very talkative tonight. Tool yeah. of the bye week. Tool of the bye week. My tool of the bye week is Pixin. Uh, I don't know if I, I think I mentioned this earlier, how I was getting into doing art as a hobby, like pixel art. Or maybe yes. I just told you in private. But but yeah, so I've been doing pixel art. I got one of those Wacom tablets, and it's been pretty fun. Nice. Just drawing different things. Um, and I've been using Pixin, and it's really a pretty cool to, tool. It's only on Mac, which is a total bummer. Um, I think there's a Windows like equivalent software that you so can So this find. open source software doesn't run on Linux? This is not open source. <gasps> I know. Wait, that's... Dagger in what? the heart. Yeah. I'm I'm normally the one who's the horrible person I know. for that. I'm a terrible person. But uh Wait, I gotta but, go change my now to something open source. Let's capitalize. <laughs> Let's capitalize. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, people won't know which one of us is better unless you find an open source software because there's just too many dimensions otherwise. No, I'm presenting closed source as well, so now they can compare us. <laughs> well, there's too many other things now. Ah! So All right. the uh so yeah, so Pixin does a lot of cool drawing. It will do like dithering and things like that. It'll let you look at the same object at multiple zoom levels simultaneously. Like it'll open like 10 windows where the object is zoomed in, zoomed out, regular. So, and for doing pixel art, that's really important. Um, really cool app, highly recommended. If you have nice. a Mac. My app is Downcast. Okay. Which is Never a heard of fun this. play of play on words. So we are a podcast and this is a podcast app. So ah. if you're not on iOS, you can stop listening for the next few few minutes. But I happen to use an iPhone, mm -hmm. and they updated to the new iOS, iOS 6. Mm -hmm. And they moved – podcast used to be part of, like, where all the music and stuff was, too. It was just, like, kind of like a separate tab or separate screen. But now they moved it up, out into a separate app. Ah. That app is horrible. Oh. Horrible. Oh, that's the built-in Like, app. it basically – like, I almost – like, I listened to a lot of podcasts – like every day on, on my commute, I, mm -hmm. I listen to podcasts. I How almost can you stop. get podcast app wrong? I mean, what can you? I, well, so like just the, all the like functionality that it used to have. Like I can't even begin to describe it. Like I need to, I, I've like so blocked it from my memory. <laughs> I don't even remember what was so bad about it that I didn't like. And this wasn't like, oh, I read online and like oh, people are outraged. No, I'm outraged. No, this was like literally like I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. I went to the normal app to pull up my podcast and it's like, oh, your podcasts are now in this other app. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, you have to go download that app if you don't have it. But I already did have it from earlier playing with it when it was optional feature. Um, and it looks like I actually deleted it, so I don't think I even have it. So I can <laughs> recall. Um, so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you need to go delete it or you need to go download it if you don't have it. And so I download it. And then it just like, oh, no, I remember. Like, so one thing was if you start playing a, a podcast, right? Okay. So I'm playing a podcast I've downloaded to the phone over a USB cable sure. or on Wi-Fi while I'm at the house. And so, like, I'm driving in the car, right? And all of a sudden, so that episode finishes and it starts playing the next episode. I'm like, oh, Sounds I didn't know I had logical. that one downloaded. Like. Yeah. I guess I did. No. Guess what was streaming over the internet the whole time I was driving to work? The next episode. Guess what my battery was like when I got oh. to work? Really low. Oh, man. So that was a nice feature. And I, I sure, I probably could have figured out how to disable it. And thankfully, I don't have... So I'm still on the unlimited plan because oh, it nice. was too long. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter to me. And even then, like, it, the podcast wasn't huge, so it wouldn't have been a big deal. But the fact that, like, killed my battery just because of streaming. Yeah, and, yeah. And, like, I, I mean, I guess it's a nice feature, but I really would like confirmation that that was what was going to happen. And just managing the subscriptions and it, like, it, uh, I just really didn't like it. Yeah, and I was having trouble figuring terrible. out what, what 
things I had downloaded to the phone that I so could it, just use. It downloaded the whole next episode. Like it didn't try. It to didn't stream. download it. It streamed it like over time. But that's actually worse. Like I would have would have rather to just download the whole thing at once. And oh be done. yeah, you're right. So now yeah. it's like like keeps hitting it. Like I don't know which penalty is worse. I, yeah. I don't. But I didn't end up having it downloaded when I got to work. Like I only still had wherever I was in the stream. Uh, and, yeah, because if if you had downloaded it all at home, then you would use Wi-Fi. As yeah, so that wouldn't have been 3G. a big deal if I had like downloaded yeah. the Wi-Fi. It's versus I'm in the car and it's just on three G. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, Downcast is another app which does basically the same thing. But only it seems it. much nicer. Nice. And maybe it's just because I got that one experience burned me so bad. I don't know, but. I, Looking later on the internet, it seems like a lot of people really don't like this app as well, this podcast app by Apple. So if, you, if you're looking for one, I recommend podcasts. We're on there. And nice. Uh, a nice bonus feature is that when I look for, when I do a search for podcast, I'm doing it right now to make sure this is still true. And I search programming. Okay. The okay, very first okay. result. Here we go. Check it. I'm searching programming. Searching for searching. podcast. Oh, Whoa. Number one. Holy crap. Number one. It's amazing. So number two is music for programming. But we're number one. <laughs> That's totally so music no for idea. programming. You guys have nothing on this us. Is so better than the iTunes Store, which ranks programming, programming because it says programming <laughs> twice. I don't, guys. If you listen to programming, programming people, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about you. No. I never listen to your podcast. No, not but at you all. get ranked ahead of us, and I think it's because <laughs> you just have programming twice in a row. Yeah. So programming throwdown is number one when so, I search. I have no yeah. idea what ranking it's using. It could be completely random. I don't care. It's amazing. Programming throwdown, which we'll for now, uh, forevermore call programming, programming, programming. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't be mean. Those guys might be really nice. No, I, I'm sure. Oh, actually, the last great. last sure they episode they uploaded uh, was in 2007. Oh, all the more reason for us to be ahead of them. <laughs> so um, maybe it's just freshness. Although music for programming has an even more recent episode than us. So. Oh wow. But anyways, we're ranked really well in this app, yeah, which is totally. just a nice side benefit. But this one has things like it'll do the geofencing. So like when I get home, it'll automatically refresh my podcast list and start downloading anything oh, new. Dude. Like once I get home. Do, do um, That's a brilliant. I've never heard of any app doing this. Really? I mean, it's such a good idea. Right? Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I, I don't know. Oh, wait. No. So like the reminders from Apple does geo, this. Though? Why wouldn't it just wait for Wi-Fi or something? Well, so for instance, like if I'm on the road, like I don't have access to charging. But once I'm home, like it's actually fairly easy for me to charge. And you can set oh, where it is. Like I can set home. I can set work. So at work, I have Wi-Fi as well. So I could do it at work. But oh, I just don't okay. want to do it in my car. And you can set it like leaving an area, which I don't exactly. But like arriving at an area. Wow. Between, between certain times, like it can check daily, how many episodes to keep, you know, what to do with new episodes if you already have old episodes. It's just seems very high. Like you can set it to sleep after a certain amount of time. You can create playlists of podcasts. Right, you can right. tell it, like, I do want you to stream ones I don't have downloaded or never do that. Anyway, it's much more configurable. But yeah, the good side cool. note is we're number one. Amazing. Amazing. That's all thanks to you guys, really. I mean, assuming that they're using, you know, voting and, like, stars. We're going to find out it's completely random that. and we're going to be completely deflated. But, yes, <laughs> until but then. Until then. It's all thanks to you guys out there, you know, giving us good feedback, making the show better. I mean, we take the feedback really seriously. We read all the email. We read all the feedback on iTunes. Yeah, we're not always good about <laughs> replying, but yeah, we do read get, it all. We're getting better, though. Yeah. I actually have the programming throwdown at Gmail on my phone now. Oh, so, nice. So we have yeah, 65 helps. ratings now. Yeah, amazing. So that's pretty good. Yeah. And I think this is only in the United States. Like, I think it shows you localized results. Yeah, it oh. says U.S., so I don't know, like, if people Worldwide. are in other countries and want to look, but like, I know we, we had an email from a listener in Germany. Yep. Yep. Um, so I think we had one from Brazil a couple couple weeks ago. Yep. So we've got listeners all over the place. Although you're you're saying beta earlier, people know we're in the U.S. right because it's <laughs> beta and beta. And, yeah. And, yeah. So uh, is alpha still alpha? Yeah. Oh, I think okay. so. I don't know. 
You know, what was that one word? But, but thank you oh. all. To interrupt your, your thinking of our listeners. When, thank when you guys. When I went to London, I noticed that uh, I say process and the guys in London say process. That was the big one that, you know, because we're all nerds. We're, we're clearly saying process a lot more than beta. I guess because we are uh, computer science nerds and not math nerds. Maybe. All right. But, anyway, uh, 65 reviews. That's pretty good. Like, there's a yeah. lot of, like, well-known podcasts that have, like, only, like, 65 reviews. Or yeah, totally. Reviews or, totally. Well, they have to say this. No, I mean, but, like, <laughs> we're doing pretty good. This is good, man. Yeah, I mean. We haven't I'll, checked our download count recently, I don't think. Have, have you? Uh, I haven't checked recently, but I can do that. But the uh, a lot of our, you know, more recent episodes have been based on user feedback. Like, someone suggested that we oh, did. That's true, uh, yeah. Yeah, someone keeps suggesting we do, like, Ruby or JavaScript or query languages, et cetera, so databases, so... Um, so appreciate you guys' feedback. Yep. And on that note about databases, we're on to the topic of the week, query languages. Yes. Query. Query or query? Oh, man, I'm going to think about how I'm saying it. <laughs> you ruined query. it Query. 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 Query I for the straight <laughs> Dude, I... I you're gonna make me like have to edit you out of the whole podcast. It's oh, gonna be man. Patrick only this time. Yeah, we're gonna have to change. Oh, I was the gonna mention rating. that actually because I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about this. So a little behind the scenes, what mm-hmm. do they call it? Inside baseball. Okay. So uh, we do the whole show in one take. Yeah, totally. Like we, I like so I edit the show with the one exception when our, our, our internet went out. But every yes, other okay, yeah, that's true. We've, we've had one, one where our internet went out, but every other time we do it straight through once, and yeah. I hardly ever delete anything. Like. I think just once or twice, like I've deleted a section where one of us like coughed or something. Yep, but yeah, yep. for the most part, we slap on the, the beginning part, the end part, listen to make sure good, and, and that's it. So it's totally. like, we do, like this is totally you like, raw. we don't edit to make it like a sound better. We're this terrible in real life. Like <laughs> yeah, we exactly. don't have to be edited to sound worse. We could come to your school and talk and we'd be this bad. <laughs> that, that's like, we could do this in front of like, oh, oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, Hidden fun stuff. So query languages. Stay till the end, everybody. So just we'll, cut cut to the bone, the yeah, meat, the meat definitely. of the situation. What is the what is the one everybody knows about? SQL. SQL. That's right. It's so people know about it so well. They've turned the acronym into like a word. Like they've tried saying SQL. So on that, when in C when I write C O U T, how do you say that? C out. Okay, that's how I say it as well. But yeah. some people say count. Those people, I know people who say cow. I don't want to generalize. Like I don't want to sound. Okay, what about what about but what about P R I N T F, print F. Okay, this is the same as me. So this is, so so the people I know C-I-N. who say cow. It's because they the people I know who say cow. It's because they they didn't grow up thinking of out as a word. Like they know it's a word now, but like English isn't uh, their first language. Hmm. And so they just look at the whole thing phonetically, whereas we're trained because we knew English from oh, the beginning. We're trained so to see fair. the out in the C. But I got into like a, no, like people who who that's not true. Like mm-hmm. so, I don't mean to generalize. And, yeah, and yeah. nothing wrong if you say it just these aren't actual real words. So you know, like uh, people were like English speaking since birth. Yeah, you yeah. say cow. Yeah, and they're very defensive of it. Yeah, really. Yeah, like and wow. sin instead of cn. But but I mean clearly, you know. So so just. To refresh people's memory, C out is when we want to stream things out to the to the console. In C. So it's it's actually short for console out. That's why it's C oh, out. Oh, I didn't know that. I actually thought yeah. it was a C because it's a programming <laughs> language. <laughs> this is C out is in C++. Well, but also it's a pair because it's always C out and C in. Like, yeah. you know, so you see those right next to each other. Like, right. 
So, I, I mean, the, the C part is common. Console yeah. makes it You just blew my mind, dude. <laughs> so you can go back to that guy who says cow, and you can be like, listen, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I can beat up, dude. It's your director. <laughs> okay, listen, anyways, listen, back on the topic, man. SQL, and now we pronounce it SQL. Yeah. So SQL is used to query databases primarily. So, you know, the, the canonical SQL is select star from and then the database name. So um, if I have a SQL database, which means a database that can be queried in SQL, um, actually, I guess there are some other... Uh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we should talk about that, but SQL yeah. is, is as a language, right? So f first, as a caveat, we love mm -hmm. caveats here. Totally. Um, we don't condone this behavior, you know, whatever. We like caviar. It's like caviar, but cheaper. <laughs> There's like four face palms. <laughs> so, so the language of SQL is, or query languages in general, can be distinct from their their data that's that's underneath. Right. So right. sometimes a translation is done mm -hmm. from you can write some a query in SQL, but a translation is done to some native query yep. when it's executed um, or whatever. But SQL is just kind of like it is very much like a programming language in that it, it can get compiled, it can get optimized, it can get yep. not in the same way, but in, in a way. And it, it is distinct from the data that's underneath. Yeah, so for example, um, I did some work in C Sharp a long time ago, so this might not even be true anymore, but C Sharp uses, we used uh, TSQL, like the Microsoft Transact SQL, and there was this thing called a stored procedure. And what this was is you wrote this SQL code, but then it compiled it down into something that was like at a very low level, like in, in some low level TSQL um, um, instructions that could be executed really quickly. So for example, if you wanted to um, get all the users in the database, you know, 10 at, in pa pagination of 10 at a time. So like the whole, you know, sending that command over the wire, you know, the text and then like receiving it, you know, in the database and then processing it, that could take time. So this uh, stored procedure was a way of doing all that compilation beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, and I actually didn't get good to my caveat before, but that we're not really talking about the backend system so much. We will right. and how they relate. But so like the whole database administration is a, a very ripe field and we are not like I, I don't know any, much about that at all. Me neither. So no so idea. querying the SQL, the query part, I mean, I'm not great at, but I understand the querying part, but the actual like administration and schema creation. So schema being, we've talked, we talked before about um, things that define what uh, the data is stored like. Mm -hmm. And so this is another, you know, the, the schema kind of says, how are we storing the data? Right. And then query is written against the schema. So you query the data that's stored in the way that the schema specifies. Yeah. Um, so but we're not going to talk a lot about that stuff. Yeah, we won't get into B trees or like how databases work under. I mean, that's that stuff gets really ugly. So yeah. But yeah, so like the queries are written against language, and I, I think it's an interesting point. So, uh, kind of like when people go through learning about programming, um, and not necessarily like at college, but like in an early stage, a lot of times your first thing is like you write very um, code that just kind of runs doesn't store anything. And then you need to store something, like, oh, I want to remember something, or somebody chooses something and I want to remember that, or I want to write some output. So you typically write to a file on disk mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, and you just learn to read and write files. But then when you move up from that and you want to uh, have multiple users and store lots of data, right? So you begin to look like, how am I going to do that? Well, you can write like structured data, like XML, and write that to the disk. But I think the first kind of thing people encounter these databases, like the first thing that people interact with that's not on their computer. Right. So you right. can, and we'll talk about it later, there are ways to run 
databases are on your computer. But to be honest, if you're doing that, you don't need to know if it's on your computer or not. It doesn't matter. Right. But at least in my case, and I think in many cases, the first time you're doing something between computers, multiple systems being involved, is yep. is talking to a database. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because a database can run wherever. And it can, serve, it can be serving 100 people at once. And invariably, you see people hit this wall. Like, they start off with just one text file with all their data. And then it, that becomes really slow. Like, you either have to read the whole file into memory or something. So then you do something like, oh, you know, each row in the file will mean something. So I can go straight to a specific row. Or maybe I'll have a file for each user. And I'll let the, like, directory structure work. But then what really kills you and where you really understand, oh, I need to get a database and SQL, is when you run into needing secondary keys. So in other words, let's say I have like a... Well, so say what a key is. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, you know, data in a database is stored in some type of aggregate structure. So in the case of like MySQL, which is a database, they store things in uh, tables, right? <clears throat> and so a, a key would be the element that you almost that you typically want to use to look up a row in a database so it's usually unique so for example um, if I have a database of people's names and how much money they've spent on my company um, I could use someone's name as the key but there might be two John Smiths right and so that wouldn't work because they would collide so I might just have every time a new user shows up I give them a new number so the first user gets one, the second user ever to the system gets two, so on and so forth. And that becomes my key. So as long as like Patrick's in the system, I sort of keep around that, oh, Patrick is 21543. And I can go and say, get me the payments for 21453. Get me the you know expenditures. Get me like what emails I've sent them. And you use this, this key to sort of get all that data. That's the primary key. But then you'll end up running into situations where you need, like, get me everybody who's bought this product. So I need to go through all the data and I need to look at like a column that isn't the key. So I need to go through all the users, all the primary keys, look up their information, pull out the secondary key or pull out this other column, see if it's equal. And then, you know, that, that would involve going through the entire database, right? So if you have secondary keys, you could think of that as sort of little mini databases. It doesn't have all the data, it just has sort of pointers to the main database. So for example, um, the primary key might be the user ID, and so I have this, this map which maps like two, four, or five, whatever, to Patrick. But then I'll have the secondary key that maps like bot economics for dummies <laughs> to Patrick and Jason and these other five people, right? And so, as whenever you update one row, like if Pat, if, if a new person, if Jim buys economics for dummies, now you have to update the row connected to that primary key where your real data is, and you have to update that secondary key. You have to add Jim to the list of the people who bought that. And if you have to do that, that's annoying. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, and so, so that's doing all that's a nightmare. So that's what, yeah, exactly. The database will do all that good stuff for you, and uh, you just write SQL. And so that. you almost got there, but not quite. But okay. introduce the relational part of database. So SQL mm -hmm. is a relational database, and we've heard a lot of things. We're going to talk about a little bit about what a relational database is and, and moving away from that. But that wasn't originally. Mm -hmm. Originally, the case it wasn't relational. And oh, then we really? Yeah. So before relational databases, we they they just weren't. They just they didn't were relate. just flat. So then we introduced relate. Yeah, just fine. So then we introduced relational databases. Which ah, okay. Do you want to talk about what the feature of that is? No, you go for it. All right. My throat's oh. sore. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so we introduced the concept of relational database, and this is what we know today. And it, it seems like in hindsight, like oh, this seems intuitive or whatever. But Jason introduced the notion of a key. So a key can identify uniquely identify a row in your table, right? So you think of rows and columns. So rows being different entities and columns, you know, attributes of that entity. Or there's various ways of, of talking about it, and we're not experts. So we're probably not using the right words, but that's okay. Um, so, so relational says, oh, okay, I have that key. So Jason talked about, a, let's call it a identifier, an ID. So mm -hmm. my user ID is whatever that number you said. And um, <laughs> so that can identify a table that lists my name. But why do I also have to have the table that says what I bought there? Because I might have bought multiple things. And how do I, th that gets confusing now because the database runs most efficiently if you know there is a key that identifies everything like uniquely identifies each row so that you know it's very fast and efficient to look it up when you provide that key because it knows exactly the one place where it is. Yep, yep. Um, and so multiple things could be combined to form a key, but in the case where I bought multiple things, you might have to use like a date, but I don't, it's not really convenient for me to look up things that Patrick has bought by date. So I have his unique identifier, I can look up his name, oh, that's Patrick, okay. Now I'll look at the things he bought, well, I can list one thing there, but when he buys a new one, do I just overwrite this? And this is the problem before relational databases, is this becomes inefficient. Yeah, so you end up with like a column that has to store like a list of things in it. Right, or like, multiple rows, and then that's yeah. inefficient because it's essentially collisions in your map, right, if you right. think about it, right? So the relational database was introduced, and that was this table relates to this other table. So now I have the unique identifier that points to the entry that is names and addresses, because mm -hmm. right? people only, let's assume for simplicity's sake initially, only have one name and address. Yeah. But then I have another one that is things that that user has bought, right? And then that's, you know, some other, so it uses the same key, user ID, but then maybe it has like user ID and something else, like just uh, another ID, like purchase ID or whatever, right? Something else. Mm -hmm. And then I can link those things together and what's called a, the, so that's a relationship. So I define the relationship, you know, like, oh, this thing relates to this thing in this way. Well, that's too many things. But, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm probably doing a terrible job of describing this, but that's okay. No, so, no, it's good. so they relate. And then the, the other concept that you get to immediately once you do that is joining data from one table to another. Right. So, right. so you have the secondary keys like JSON, you have the primary keys, you have what's called a foreign key. So like this key also references this other table. So it's a foreign key to that table. Oh, I see. Uh, so, but you also have another thing that we haven't touched on now is you have indexes, indices. Right, which is how you do these efficient lookups. Yeah, yeah, which is all sort of things you do behind the scenes. But in SQL, um, you can actually, uh, if you're writing SQL to select from a particular column, uh, if that column is indexed, it'll go much faster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you're adding restrictions. So, like, I know that I want only the column that has Jason's user ID, yep. right? Like, so I say where the user ID equals Jason's number. That's really fast if that is the key or at least in an index. Yep, and part of some of these systems are even clever enough where they'll analyze your SQL over time. And if you're making many calls to a column that isn't indexed, they'll index it for you. Or at least they'll, they'll ping you as like a potential optimization of your database. So SQL can actually be used to sort of optimize your database if, if it's yeah, used yeah. often enough. So, um, so anyway, so it gets into joins. And mm -hmm. so this is the thing that gets into the meat of you know, SQL programming is, yep. is doing these joins and then also subquery. So I wanna run some query, get some results, you know, and then I want to essentially query that query Right, so I restrict the data set to some set, mm -hmm. and then I want to query that restricted set for further information. Yeah, one kind of interesting thing about SQL is SQL reads from tables, but it returns a table. 
So for example, if you say select user ID and name from the users table, what you will get out of that select is a table. And as Patrick said, that you know, the table sits somewhere in memory or in some kind of like cache on disk or something. <laughs> but like uh, you can then run like these nested um, select statements where it's like, take this table that I just selected and select something else from it. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty. It's a pretty brilliant language. For yeah, that and then when you're doing join between multiple tables, you're essentially building up a new table that has added information in it. Mm -hmm. So you're adding to the columns essentially of this returned table. Yep. And then that gets into now we get into like everybody you know has these complex queries that they they build to do these really specific things that seem kind of like oh this is so frustrating. Why is it not working? Why is my query not returning what I what I need? But if you had to do like what Jason was describing in the beginning, you'd be far worse off. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, there's so much crazy magic behind databases, and um, it's yeah, just it's a research topic actually, like yeah. optimizing and how to run the the back end, the database engine, the yep. thing that is storing these data and executing these queries and optimizing them. And yeah, and I mean, you know, no matter how little data you think you have, I mean, if you have hundreds of thousands or millions of records, you gotta be using a database. I mean, if you wanna have any kind of reasonable turnaround time, you know, it doesn't take a lot of data for you to get to the point where it's like, oh, I have to use a database. And then you're running into using SQL or something so like that. So we hear that term today, big data. So I mean, from your example, like big is relative, I guess. You <laughs> yeah, start with like small true. data, it's just in a file, and it's bigger data, like you know, I wanna have a larger data set. And, SQL really can handle that, but then you get to like big data, which is a buzzword recently, but that's yeah. even, like so if your data just grows and grows and grows, eventually it takes longer and longer and longer to run these queries over all the columns and look yeah. for things, Then you can't index everything because the indexes would get too big, and so you have to go through every row looking for, you know, things that match that query, and that, that and that's when we begin to introduce other things that are used, oh, um, so like, you know, for running these and like we, we talk about the like Hadoop's like map reduces yeah. and you know, oh, we want to, to do these things because that data is too big, the traditional SQL databases can't handle it. It would just like, it would just be really, really hard. Yeah. And a lot, but a lot of time is spent, like SQL did scale way further than probably people thought it would. Yeah, totally. So, so you know, so millions of people querying it per second, you know, millions of queries per, I guess that's a good, like queries per second, I think that's a typical, yeah. you know, parameter that they measure by. So like, you know, just like how many people are querying at the same time. And that's another thing that's an advantage of not having a file is that you and I can share this data out in the cloud. Yeah, Ooh, no one's logged card. the file yeah. or anything. <laughs> yeah, we can, and then um, we'll talk about it later, but you know, that, that and then what happens when we want to write, not just read? Like, yeah. how do you handle that? Well, if you have only one file, it becomes, it becomes problematic, but if we share a database, it, it handles that for us. Yeah, totally, totally. And you know, the other thing is, you might want to instrument your program. So in other words, while your server is running, giving data to your users, providing data, you might want to write another program that sort of looks at the server every now and then and says, hey, what's going on, right? So, you know, SQL is, uh, a lot of these databases have like web interfaces where you can write SQL in. Like for example, MySQL database has um, PHP MyAdmin, which is this PHP server that you run on the same machine as the database. And then actually it doesn't even have to be on the same machine. But you run this PHP server, you go to this website that the server is running on, and um, you can actually look at your data as it's changing. So if this was on a file system, like you'd have to like lock the file, the users wouldn't be able to do anything, and then you look at some data and then you unlock, it's just not practical, right? 
So, so SQL is not the only thing that, that people use. There are other things as well, many of them. Yeah. So, so yep. there's some, what is another one? Another one is Sparkle. So this is uh, for semantic webs. So this is a little bit different. The idea here is um, if you have a semantic web of information, so the idea is you have a set of entities and then you have information on the connection between the entities. So for example, um, let's say you had, uh, let's say you had all of Facebook's data. And so each node was like a person and then the connections between them also information like these two people are in a relationship or married or friends or not friends or they used to be friends and now they're not friends that that could mean something right so whenever you have like this what's called semantic web but uh you have like information that's sort of stored in this way um sparkle is sort of a query language that's really good for dealing with this so um there's plenty of other types of query languages and there's but, other uh, things that are different like each each kind of database engine tends to have like a slightly different version of SQL. Like yeah, that's true. Certain commands that you think are part of the language but aren't and are custom yep. and how to do these, you know, the management stuff can be can be very different. Yeah, like even like sometimes getting the current time. Like you might want to do just programmatic things which aren't really related to your database. Like you might want to say, uh, for example, get me all the users in the past month. Well, you have to know what 30 time. days or what a month from, from today was. Well, you need to know right? what today is. You need yeah. to know what the concept of a day and So is. a lot of those functions, like either the names are a little different. or you know, They've tried to standardize it, and it's a lot better now than it was, you know, a decade ago. But, uh, but yeah, there's still all sorts of nuances there. So breezing through some of the rest of our traditional structure of, of going over language, because I kind of covered it. <laughs> yeah. We talked about interfacing from multiple systems. Yep. Transactional, I alluded to this and, and didn't exactly talk about, but it, if Jason and I are both trying to write data, or Jason's trying to write and I'm trying to read, yep. you know, like how, how is that handled, you know? Yep. And, and that's a very complicated thing. And is, yeah, oh, sorry, no, but it's being able to roll back. So the idea is like, if me and Patrick both, let's say there's one product left at, on Amazon's shelf, like there's, Amazon's selling economics for dummies and there's only one left and we both go to buy it at the same time. So it uh, it starts processing both of our transactions and then it charges Patrick's credit card and like I'm halfway through the transaction and then yeah, so he the buys problem is the multiple book. queries need to be bundled together in this transaction. Right. So it's not just one query that each of us are running and we're, we're it's just a race condition and one of us will get to it first. I mean that is a problem but even the worst problem is we need to do multiple queries because I need right. to query your credit card then I need yeah. to write that I charged your credit card and tell something else to go charge your credit card. Then yep. I need to go to the product once I've done that and deduct the amount by one or vice versa. But whatever, right? Like I need to do this set of steps and yep. we both need to execute that set of steps. But we need some way of, like you said, rolling back so that if one of us can't fully complete it, then you know we undo everything that happened. Like all the other rights that happened during that need to get undone. Yeah, exactly. You need to go back to like none of them worked. Yep. So it's all or nothing. And that's what a transaction is. Totally. Yep. And it's very needed. Very needed. And it has to, like, you have to know it's right. Yeah. I mean, imagine how terrible this would be. I mean, like, you would end up with, you'd, your credit card would get charged right as something came out of stock. You know, I mean, like, this could be just a complete disaster if it wasn't implemented right. And we didn't talk about it yet, but um, the ACID transactions. Oh, yeah. So, you know, this is a whole, whole thing that is very popular to be talked about. And especially what we're going to talk about now about the no SQL movement and mm -hmm. about, so SQL, when you try to go too far in, in one parameter, for one, try to apply it to every use case, which is kind of what happened. It was the, the tool, right? Yep. And, you know, I'd say maybe mid to early, early to mid 2000s, right? Like that was the tool. Every, everything's database, even before people were using database. But around that time, we started to run into problems where people 
we're kind of using it and maybe it wasn't the best tool. And part of that is that a lot of these servers strive for ACID compliance, which is atomicity, which is, uh, we talked about like being able to execute, uh, you know, like one instance in time, like all these things and it all works and nothing works. I think mm -hmm. I'm getting it right. Yeah. Consistency, right? So that things return the same for all of us. We don't get mixed results. And then that gets the problem like when you have sharding and stuff like one server can't handle everybody, so I have to split it up. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm uh, isolation and durability. Durability has to do, I think, with like surviving across reboots, right? So, like, if you yep. get randomly rebooted, like you, you know that you'll come back at the same time. Um, isolation. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure on that one. I'm not good. Actually, I don't know either. Isolation. Oh, here you go. There's a little article on it. But Ensures that uh, the concurrent execution of transactions. Oh, I see. So isolation means that if there's like, let's say there's uh, I'm trying to buy a book and Patrick's trying to buy a book. And let's say there really are two in stock. Let's not worry about the crazy corner case. The idea is if I buy and Patrick buys, or he buys first, or we both buy at the same time, the end result should be the same. Like, it shouldn't be such that I buy the book. I mean, you can imagine this going wrong, right? Let's say there's two books, and let's say there's two in stock. And the code says, take the number in stock and then subtract one and then set that to the new number. Well, if we both hit it at the same time, we'll both see two, we'll both subtract one, and then we'll both store one in the database. Right. When it really should have been zero. Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, that would be a problem. So, so this ACID thing is, is very useful. Uh, and yeah. many systems really need this. Yeah. But if you can do without one of these, you can begin to design something that's slightly different. It's not exactly the same as what you were used to, yep. but um, like consistency is, is a big one. So consistency is, like we talked about, if you have multiple multiple things running, um, I can write to one, and consistency says if I write to instance zero, instance three, when Jason tries to read from it right after I write, also reflects the same thing. Right. But that, that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, so and they it have, doesn't always have to be true. Like look at Twitter, for example. Right, so you get the notion of eventual consistency. Yeah. So it doesn't matter in Twitter if, if J Jason tweets, oh, I don't mean to overstep. <laughs> no, J no, Jason tweets, right? It doesn't matter if I go to check and I don't see Jason's tweet, yep. the same millisecond he tweets. But I do want to see it within five seconds. Yep. But five seconds is a lot longer than zero. Yeah, you know. Totally. So uh, if I get to eventual consistency, or maybe you don't even need consistency. You know, if, if it's a game or something, maybe if you don't get it right away, or it, it doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. It, totally. Possibly it. So if you can begin to start to violate some of these rules, or you can do without transactions, or without you know the durability that uh, you know, like again, like if I'm running a game server, maybe some parts of it like all the people currently in the world, I don't need that to be durable. If it crashes right. and comes back out, everybody just starts back at their home base. Or if you're running like a chess server where you're hosting a bunch of chess games and the server dies, and as a result of the server dying, all the people playing their games are lost. The reality is they'll just start new games, right? It's not gonna be the end of the world. They'll be upset, but you would wanna make, for, but you might have different needs. So like the player's rank. That might want to be durable, right? And you might want right. to use an SQL database for that. But then, for just hosting the games, maybe it's really expensive to do all of those transactions against a database. Yep. So you might want to use something else, right? And and these are the kinds of things that people began to deal with. And out came some of these things. Mm -hmm. Out came uh, the no SQL. Yeah. So the no SQL movement is kind of a like, what do you call it? like a misnomer? Like it's not yeah, exactly. Totally. It has totally nothing misnomer. to do. So you still do it's like counterculture. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those terms <laughs> that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what it's getting at is that um, in NoSQL, 
instead of having these relationships defined and doing these expensive joins and indices, you, it's really geared to doing point lookups. So I just need to look up some bit of data. Like I want to look up this specific information about JSON and I want to just store, kind of going back to what we talked about, like a whole complex thing, maybe some JSON or maybe mm -hmm. some XML, so, you know, something that's very structured. Yep. Uh, and I want to store all of that in one place and I just want to pull it, look it up and then I'll do some sort of analysis. And so, uh, oh, I guess I'm, I'm skipping ahead, but no, running fine. queries on that kind of thing is something slightly different. So if you're running on, let's say Hadoop, you're going to run, a, let's say you're gonna run across analysis, everything, every yeah. row so in the database. Let's say you have, so there's like an object store database. And what this does is this stores like an entire, as, as Patrick said, entire JSON or XML string. And you can think of it as sort of key value pairs. So there still is a primary key somewhere, like there's a user ID or something like that. And then the value is just this huge chunk of data. And the idea here is, you know, with SQL, it's really hard to do consistency across machines. I mean, you have to like take all your transactions, broadcast them. It's the N squared problem, right? Like if you have five machines, every transaction, you know, that hits a machine then has to get spread to all the other five machines, right? So a different way of doing it would be, oh, let's have each of the machines just store a different amount of data. Like each of the machines store some part of the database and then I can query all five of them, which, you know, that part is more expensive, but the idea is I could have like a thousand machines or 10,000 machines and they all are just storing bits and pieces of this database. And even though it's more expensive to do this whole query, you know, asking 10,000 machines to do something is always going to be way faster than having five, right? Wow. You well. hope it's way faster. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of this database stuff, yeah. But, so. if, but I mean, especially if, like we we're talking about for the point where you're, you need to read every row. Right. And, and then you're going to do something, some manipulation of everything. Uh, SQL is not, not exactly meant, like, it, I mean, it can do that, I guess. I wouldn't say it's not meant for it. I mean, but it's that's not really the purpose. Right. So if I can store it somehow else, or if I'm making updates and I only need to just update one specific thing, you know, and then when I read it, it's going to be in this manner. Or when I read it, I'm going to go pull the very specific row I need, and it's got everything I need to it. Yeah. Then, in some ways, it's overkill to use SQL, and you're sacrificing stuff by doing that. Yeah, totally, totally. And so there are languages written with this in mind. So you have a NoSQL database, or you know, um, even like you're running in Hadoop and something, and then there are languages written to help you write those queries, so you don't have to necessarily write Java code that has to run at each stage of the pipeline. You yep. can write this query and it'll generate the Java code for you. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of these people, they're not dummies. They know that a lot of the people who work with databases are used to SQL. And so they made theirs, you know, in sort of the form of SQL. So one is HiveQL, and that's part of the Apache Hive project. And so the idea is it'll go through a Hadoop database, uh, or, or rather not a Hadoop. Hadoop is, a, is sort of like a clustering platform. It'll go over a Hive database and so that's will, like the file system, like the data storage layer. Yeah, exactly. It'll go through a Hive database and it will uh, you know, do, so you can say things like, select all of the documents where there's a, you know, in the JSON, there's a name key and that name key is equal to Patrick or something like that. And so it feels a lot like SQL, but it's querying a completely different data structure on the back end. It's not really, I mean, those aren't really meant for real time, though. Like, you're not serving right. something on a website, but that's something like batch processing. Like, I want to run some report or yep. analysis. Or. And it's actually somewhat common for people to do a little bit of both. Like, I've, I've heard of cases where people have an SQL database up front, which has a lot of the indices and the support for, like, pulling individual records. But then they end up piping it out 
to some like Hadoop based system or some cluster for doing like the heavy lifting. Like look at everybody and calculate the average amount spent and, and all these other statistics, standard deviation, things like that. So Yeah, because you don't want to make your users suffer when you're trying to run some report. Yeah, exactly. That'd be bad. Yeah, it used to be where you had two copies of your database. You had the one, you know, that was latent that was for doing your analysis. But you know, as Patrick mentioned, SQL is not really designed for that. It's designed for serving. So it makes if you're gonna have two copies, it makes more sense for your second copy to be no SQL. Yep, and so there are, there are other tools related to all of this. So we talked about SQLite before, mm-hmm. it's a tool of the week. So this is one that's an SQL database that runs locally and does write to a file on the back end yep. that tries to make it more efficient up front. And there's MySQL, Postgres SQL, what is it, Oracle's? Oracle bought MySQL, but they have another SQL as well? Uh, right? Yeah, Oracle also has Berkeley DB. Okay. They own that. Microsoft has some- Kind of like SQLite. SQL Server. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. there's, I mean, there's, all sorts of tools, and there's tools for optimizing, running stuff in memory, making you know caching of queries, yep. this kind of thing. Yeah, SQLite is a good one to sort of start with because yeah. you can always just delete the file and your database is gone. You don't have like Bye-bye. some service running in the background or like you don't have to know SQL. To and it's like also easy to switch database. over from executing it against your local one to a remote one. Yeah, totally. So you're not wasting a lot of time. Yeah. And then, and some place, you know, we pretty much everywhere on the web uses <laughs> database in oh, some yeah. manner. So, I mean, but I mean, like even things like WordPress, right? All the articles that when you display on the back end. Now there's some optimization that goes on, I'm sure. But all of those articles, that text is stored as a some blob of text in a row in a database somewhere. Yep. And when you go to the web page, in theory, it's querying that database and getting the stories by date and showing them to you on the front page. When you go to next page, it's saying. Give me the next three articles and yep. showing you those. And in fact, like Wikipedia, uh, you know, DBpedia is that is that what it's called? Oh no, MediaWiki. Sorry, MediaWiki, which what which is what Wikipedia is based on, is um, that software uses SQL, and you can actually download the SQL file for all of Wikipedia. It's like this gigantic yeah, like thirty you, gig. That's what you did for Trivipedia. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so, so for people who don't know, um, SQL. Uh, you know, you can select things from the database, which we talked about. You can also um, insert, update, and delete uh, items from the database. So you can actually, you can think of like storing things um, in SQL code. Like if you had SQL code that, you know, created a database and then inserted Patrick, you know, user ID, blah, 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 Patrick, and then inserted all the things Patrick bought, that, that source code really has data in it and that is the data. So uh, a lot of these programs like MySQL, when you go to like dump the database or back up the database, you get a gigantic block of code, which is really just instructions for recreating the database from scratch. Mm. And uh, so Wikipedia does this frequently and you can download like the biggest source file you'll ever see in your life, like a 30 gigabyte source file, which has all of the data in it. I'll pass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, okay. So yeah. we we, talk, we alluded to it earlier, but oh, I think you yeah. have grand plans for our next recording, which so, we don't. We have to figure out the date, but we'll post it on our Google Plus page. Yeah. Keep keep on the Google Plus page. We want to do a Q and A episode. Um, we'll see how it works. I don't know if yet. We haven't sort of fleshed out the details. If it'll be a Google Hangout, I think, I think that'll be good. We have to figure out how to record it. Right. So I don't want to have to just like read the 
like re-say what people are saying. So I, we have to figure this out. It'll yeah. be a good experiment for us to learn. Totally. Um, maybe we can just record the Hangout. I think you can record a Hangout. We'll see. We'll, we'll look yeah. into it. And uh, we'll figure out the exact format. We'll let you know. Maybe we'll have a Skype number and people can Skype We'll in. have to do it somewhere crazy. So we'll be... Okay. We'll be somewhere crazy. Well, um, we'll be somewhere. We'll be somewhere. I don't know what to be crazy. Everywhere is crazy. It's okay. Our, it's us, you know. So so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do the show over Hangouts. Uh, you'll see our goofy faces. Should we, if we record the hangout, I guess we could just post the hangout as well in addition to the MP3. Sure, we'll figure out something. But, but anyways, uh, we're going to have you guys call in. Yeah. We'll see. If not, we'll just talk about news, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We'll have people call in general. We'll general have, like 90 minutes of news if you don't call in. So. Uh, <laughs> might be a short episode. <laughs> but yeah, it will be Q&A. Um, definitely, you know, post if certain like days are good for you or times are good. We're curious to see sort of like what people's interest level is. So... Um, yeah, definitely post on the plus page and let us know what you think. All right. Thank you all. All right. See you later. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.